Hello and welcome to Draw, Lose or Draw, a weekly podcast covering all things Partick Thistle. Joining me this week to, to quickly look back on our, our defeat at Falkirk on Friday night, Jamie McDonald. Jamie, how are you? Yeah, I'm not too bad. game was not great. It was a bit of an understatement, but yeah, I'm looking forward to chatting on the podcast as usual. Rhys Aldane's here. Rhys, are you well? I am. I'm good. It's good to be back on the pod. It's just it's a weird one this season. Not too many times we've had to talk about a defeat and one as bad as that, but I'm sure we're used to it. And rounding off our panel this week is David Forrest. David, how are you? Hello, everybody. I am doing okay. Um, I'm excited for today's episode, not because I want to talk about the Falkirk game, because it was frankly shite, but what we're going to talk about afterwards it's going to be great fun, but you need to finish your vegetables before you can have your dessert. So let's just battle through the full cup game. But I'm doing well, all in all. We'll start, as we always do, with a, a quick look at our starting 11. I believe there were eight changes to the last league starting 11, with only Jack McMillan, Kyle Turner and Stuart Bannigan keeping their places. So it was was a, a much-changed team for McCall, which you did hint at in the, in the press before the game. Jamie, what did you make of the starting 11 when you saw it? To be fair, I was uh, pretty confident with the starting 11. I think we've got a pretty deep squad this season. We've got a very strong, very strong squad. We've mentioned it numerous times, many options we've got. I know it's such a good thing to have selection headaches. And so you put out, you'd say, a second-string team. Like, good to see Jamie Stern get some game time. I thought that was overdue. And, some people like Danny Mullen getting a chance and uh, Hodson, who I think would get out of an illness or something like that. A couple of players getting in and Darren Brownlee getting back into the squad as well. But I was, I guess, the confidence in this place because the team just did not perform at all. You could tell at the end of the day it was a second string team. And I feel the lack of options on the bench didn't help. I thought Lawless was brought on a bit too late and not having someone like Tiffany on the bench who could bring on or a focal point up front, maybe like Dowds to come off the bench, even though he was warming up at the start, but then seemed to disappear, which was odd, even though he wasn't officially listed, but I thought we maybe lacked that in the squad, and yeah, it was just, they didn't play how I thought they were going to. Jamie touched on it there, Reese. Uh, it maybe wasn't the eight changes that was the shock, it was maybe the lack of, well, we, we suspected Tiffany had a knock, but maybe no Graham on the bench, and no, no Dowds on the bench either. Maybe the strength of the bench was as, as much as a shock as anything. I wasn't disappointed, but um, when we look back to last week's pod and you asked what change you would make, I said that I'd like to see Dowds and Mullen start up top together, um, although obviously Dowds ended up having a knock. Um, but I, I mentioned I'd still like to see Tiffany playing, I'd still like Laws to be in the team, and you still kind of want the court to be in there, like uh, Doherty, and obviously make changes here and there. But I think, we, I know we've touched on all season how good our squad depth is, and I still agree we do have a great squad, but see when you go into a game and you make 
wholesale changes where you rip the team apart. I don't care who you are. I don't care if you're uh, Barca, Real Madrid, Bayern Munich. If you change your full team, now you're not going to have any flood in the team. When you look at the team on paper, it's still a good team. It's all good footballers, but they've not got that sort of that level of consistency or any sort of fluidity within the ranks playing together um, and he probably not built up that many relationships within that squad um, yeah so it was it was going into the game I, I, I wasn't particularly it wouldn't have been my choice of 11 but I still backed the team to, to maybe go and get a result So in terms of the performance uh, Jamie I think Ian McCall said Falkirk were were worthy winners just how disappointing their performance was it did anyone uh, get past marks from you? Uh, I thought it was a shocking performance, to be honest. The majority of the squad was below par. Harry Milne was good when he came off the bench. Shows he's the man of the match when he came on. Well, our, our man of the match, not their man of the match, but when he came on at halftime. Uh, I thought Tony Weston did okay. don't think he was terrible, but young boy who came on, the number 29, I thought he was decent off the bench as well. But no one, no one was brilliant by any means. And McCall was dishing out praise in the post-match analysis, which I thought was a bit odd to some players. Like I'm not picking on Lee Hodson, but I thought that he, I thought he was very poor. And then McCall was saying he was like outstanding or something like that, and I thought that was an odd one. But yeah, he seemed to be reasonably happy with how some players performed. And another thing was it was kind of disappointing to see the decline in Akinola and Brownlee as centre backs. Both of them were, you know, you go back to Brownlee in the League One season and Akinola in the first half of last season and think of them together in their prime it'd be a fantastic centre-back pairing but you know, Brownlee just he moves like a truck now I don't think he's fully recovered at all from his injury and Akinola just looks devoid of confidence and it's sad to see kind of the decline of them for us and you'd like to hope to get back to the rest but I just can't see it happening and I can't see them getting back into the team now to be honest. Yeah, much like recent Jamie said, I thought it was a, a really, really poor performance. It was just, it, it's one of those things where we do have like strength and depth, but the, the, the key to that depth is that in your team, your team of 11, if somebody comes out, you've got a player to replace them. If you're replacing six or seven of those guys, that, that doesn't work. You're just ripping the whole team out and having to try and work with all these new players working with player, other players who are also trying to work with new uh, teammates as well. It, it just doesn't really work. I think Falkirk were, were pretty much were, were pretty up for it, especially after you know we beat them five 0 in the league one season. Just the way our paths are diverged in the last two years, they were really up for it. They were deserved winners. We offered nothing. Um, I felt bad for Sneddon, um, who obviously gets his shot in a game and. You know, obviously the, the team just don't help him at all. I, I was really annoyed with McCall's just sheer lack of ambition, and you know, going that we're just going to play, we're just going to play the, the reserves or the, the youth or whatever. Especially when we are really struggling to bring on like Stanway and McKenzie and stuff like that. Just I, I don't know. It, it just really felt like a really disappointing result. I I, I don't think I'm as like down on it, I think McCall basically summed it up before the game and after the game. There was lots of fans saying, oh, why did he, didn't he say he was going to make all these changes and we wouldn't have bothered going? He did say it, and then <laughs> a couple of times in the press, he was going to make changes. The team wasn't really a surprise to me. And then he basically said after the game, 
I don't think anyone was terrible. There was a lot of good players and it was just a very disjointed team performance, which you would expect with eight changes. And he also mentioned, well, it's pretty clear where our priorities lie this season. And at the end of the season, Ian McCall's not going to be judged on going out the Challenge Cup to Fall Cup. Ian McCall's going to be judged on whether we have a sustained title challenge right to the end of the season. And I think that's the most important thing for me. As disappointing as it was, I, I could have... Obviously, the priority is the league and the League Cup quarterfinal coming up. It's maybe slightly disappointing because this wasn't a midweek game. There was a week either side of the game. That's the only sort of disappointing thing that could Graham, could Tiffany have been on the bench just in case, but I'm not going to lose sleep over it. Reese, do you want to come in? Aye, so I agree with what you were saying there, Matt, regarding McCall made it pretty clear that he said, he said in the presser last week, uh, everybody that's not playing is going to get game time and, and that's exactly what he done so I, I agree I don't get why people are annoyed that he made changes it was it was obvious what was happening but the thing that annoyed me more than anything I've not got a problem with going out the Challenge Cup at the end of the day you're annoyed Fissel didn't win and you'd, it would have been good to get a cup run but it's it's not the be all and end all it's, you forget about it by the next day the annoying thing for me was the attitude towards the game like I get he's just giving other guys minutes and stuff but it's the way that the players were on the pitch from minute one. Falkirk, obviously, they played their starting 11, minus they changed their keeper, sorry, they played their backup keeper. But apart from that, it was the same team that drew it on Fermlin at the weekend and by all accounts should have pumped on Fermlin. So just the way we approached it, we just looked like we weren't interested. And I can accept if we went and got beat by Falkirk and you go, fair enough, they deserved a win. And to be honest, they did deserve the win, but that's not... We didn't try. We genuinely did not try to win that game. We showed zero impotence at all. Um, and as James mentioned, the best player on the night was Harry Milne, who, who's our first-team starter anyway, and Xander McKenzie, who was really good and looked lively, wanted to do something, but he's not going to get near the first team on a regular basis. It was disappointing. All the guys who came in had a point to prove did not do themselves any favours. It was they, did, they didn't take their chance. And even when you're mentioning Snedden there, I thought Snedden was poor as well. I thought I thought that showed why Mitchell gets a game. I thought his kicking was shocking. The amount of times he put it out of the park and there was one towards the end where he made a hash it again. And that's, what it, as I've said a million times, it comes down to the fine margins. You can see why McCall opts for Mitchell. I know he might not be, there's not much in it in terms of shot stopping, but when it comes down to the final things, that's what McCall prefers to go with Mitchell. But all in all, as, as Jamie's touched on as well, um, I, I really hate saying it as well because I, I love Darren Brown. I loved him in a, I loved him when he was at Queen of the South as a player um, and I loved him in a promotion season in League One but he's just not a viable option anymore. It's He's a shadow of the player he was and as soon as he got that injury for a, for a big centre-half like him getting uh, an ACL rupture or whatever it was to come back they're never going to be the same player because any pace that he did have is gone. You've seen it with Tamil Ware and we're seeing the exact same thing happen again um, and I know there's been talk recently in the papers about Joe Shaughnessy just get him in right now and hopefully that will help show up the set piece problem as well but that being said we're at the cup now just attention back to the league so back to league action back to the important business on Saturday as we face Morton at Fahill um, Jamie do you expect many changes to the starting 11 I'd say the the big decision McCall's probably going to have to make is if Cole McKinnon's available I, I think um, he could be the, the obvious change but Bannigan's fresh off at a really good birthday performance against Cove um, what's that team you expecting to, to take to the field against Morton on Saturday Yeah I think if Cole McKinnon's available he's got to be the one to come in 
and out of the midfield three, I think Turner probably be the most likely to drop out. As you said, Barry had had a really good performance against Cove and Doherty just, you know, I don't see McCall dropping him, so I think it would be probably Turner for McKinnon. And I want to see McKinnon come back in if he's available. I think nothing against Turner, it's just McKinnon is instrumental to how we play him. Especially if we don't know there's been you know, whispers about him maybe getting recalled in January and going to use it in Newcastle or something. So, you know, we've got to make use of him while we have him at least. Um, any other changes? I don't know if Tiffany's fair enough to start. He had, uh, you know, he didn't feature at all in the squad for Falkirk. And after the Cove game, he again had a bag of ice around his ankle. It's the second or third game in a row that I've seen him have a bag of ice around his ankle at the end. So it looks like he's still suffering with some sort of issue and playing through something. So, I don't know if he'll be starting. You can maybe see Fitzy come in for a start in the league again. I mean, thought he was better at sorts of the Falkirk game. Not many people played well, but maybe it'd be good if he does get a start to shake that off and put in a good shift. So maybe those are the changes, but not many big changes I could see. Rhys, do you agree? McKinnon for Turner? Absolutely. I think it's been glaringly obvious um, that we missed Kel, uh, Cole McKinnon. Sorry. Um, he's been brilliant all season and a lot of people say that, but our midfield options are, are brilliant all over. And they are. Kel, Kel Turner's a great deputy, but Cole McKinnon just gives you that something else. Like, something that we lack. Just so much energy, quality. Just, he's, he's pretty much got everything to his game. And it's kind of the same way that we, we talk about Lewis Mayo last season. Uh, Cole McKinnon's of the same ilk. So, if he's back, which, to be honest, I don't really think he will be, because was that two or three games with Scotland under the 21s? He wasn't in the squad two games in a row for us that he wasn't in the squad. So, aye, so I, I don't know what's up with him. I don't know if it's COVID. I don't know if that's actually still a, like a protocol or whatnot. But um, fingers crossed he is back. Um, in terms of any other changes to the starting 11 from Falkirk, aye, whole new team. Uh, but pretty much should go with similar to last week in the league. Um, but aye, in, in, terms of, in terms of Morton, there, I had a wee quick look at the table there. They're sitting in seventh, two wins, two draws, and three defeats. It's the most Morton start of all time. But you know what they're like? They're absolute hatchet men who are, who are rotten. And it comes to a game against Fissel, and they turn it on every time. They just get they get an extra buzz when it comes to playing against us. Um, it's like they lift their levels. But I think it'll be a really good tie. And you know what Morton are like? They're always they're always quite handy. They like to get physical, and it's, it's a game that will suit the likes of Brian Graham and Anton Dowds. Um, so I am I'm looking forward to it and hopefully we can just there's kind of two bad results in a row like the the Luke dropping points to Cove and then obviously losing the Falkirk in the cup so we just need to turn the turn sort of turn the tide again even though it's just a, a a small a small veer in the wrong direction but we need to just turn the tide and get three points. I certainly hope there's no Morton fans listening to this. I'm sure there will be if if they pick up three points on on Saturday. David, do you want to kick us off with some some predictions for the game? Much like Reese, I agree. I think it's going to be a, a bit of a tasty tie. To be fair, I think if Morton fans are listening to it, they probably would agree that they're rotten hatchet men who always uh, like to get it up thistle. I think that's the, their club identity at this point, to be fair. But um, yeah, um, I will go 3 1 thistle. 3 1. Jamie, your score prediction? I still got back us to keep a clean sheet to be honest, so I'm going to agree with David and say 3-1 Thistle. So I'm the same, I'm not backing this for a clean sheet, I think set pieces are probably one of Morton's strengths and our weaknesses, so I, could, I can see them nicking a goal from there. I'll go 2-1, 2-1 Thistle. 
Um, Reese, you're a point behind us all. Um, you need a you're going to need to get an exact score soon. I think. Uh, what are you What are you going for on Saturday? I'll switch up then, and I'll go for two 0 Jags. I know it's a clean sheet's going to be pretty unlikely against Morton with the way the the long throws and the, the corners and whatnot, and how frail we've been at set pieces. But I'll back us for a clean sheet. Two 0 How big a concern is the, the set piece issue going into a game like this then? Um, Morton are the sort of team of if they go a goal up, they can make life very difficult for us. Um, how important could a fast start be in getting a goal or two up in the first half, um, Jamie? No, I think it would be huge because I think outside of that 5 1 awful game back in 2018 under Caldwell, every time we've lost the one that I can think of, I think it's been by one goal, and it's usually always a tight game against them. Like, not often have we... I think we've blown them away twice. They've blown us away once. But usually, it's a tight game, like a 2-1-1 to either side or a 1-0 or whatever. So, I think taking the lead is huge for us. Because if we fall behind and they sit in and they become really stuffy and it's a game, you know, it's just the clock runs down and down and down and we look less and less likely to score. And it's, again, you, you, we don't want to be dropping more points, especially at home. Think back to last season, what games killed us? It was the two Morton losses, and we don't want to be looking back and thinking dropping points against Cove, dropping points against Morton. We don't want, don't want any bad runs to start. We want to kill that, get a good win, and I think scoring early will be huge. Nice. Yeah, I agree. But the thing, the thing that I think is different with Morton, we need to start fast, but we can't just get a goal and sit back. Like Morton are a team that they could be terrible for 90 minutes, but at 1 0, they're always in it. How many times have we seen it? Like, Last season, went 1-0 up after two minutes after Turner scored. They come back and win 2-1 set pieces. You look back to Caldwell's reign, we're 2-0 up, DeVita and Miller scored. They come back and win 3-2. So they're never out of a game. You need to sort of put them to bed um, as early as you can. Because um, at 1-2-0, one or, at one or all it takes is a late throw-in and they're back in the game and the crowd can get right behind them. So I'm looking forward to it. And as I mentioned last week, we've sort of been... I obviously don't know, but it sort of feels like we've been underestimating the teams that come to Fur Hill, like the Hamiltons and the Coves. But I don't think it'll be the same after the sort of bad results we've had. I think we'll be right up for this game at the weekend. And I hope we approach it in the same way that we have done with Dundee away and Inverness at home. And, and we just go full throttle. Before we move on, we will move over to the first of many quiz segments as we kick off the 2022 Draw, Lose or Draw quiz tournament. Competitors looking to make it to the semi-final stage. They are Vinny Ferguson. Vinny, how are you? I'm very well. Thank you very much for having me along. I am petrified of this, so uh, <laughs> thanks. 
Rhys Aldane's here. Rhys, how are you? I am good. It's a proverbial group of death, so if you want to be the best, you need to beat the best, so let's go. Jamie McDonald, who was accusing me of, of rigging the group draw, is, is also here. Jamie, how are you? <laughs> it's not quite what I said, but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not too bad, Matt. Hey, baby, yourself. I'm good, thank you. I'm, I'm looking forward to this. And rounding off Group A is Mark Wallace. Mark, how are you? Um, I'm good. I'm good. I'm looking forward to this. Uh, I can agree with Reese. I think iron sharpens iron. So this is going to be a real, a real test and real quality in this in this section, as it were. There sure is. So you're about to hear match day one. So you're about to hear. Our first two matches, this group, everybody is going to play everybody once. You're about to hear the first round of those matches and the top two will get out of the group to play the top two from Group B, which you will hear their match day one next week. So our first match is going to be Vinny versus Reese. So we're going to have two rounds. Round one is going to be five questions to each of you. If you get your question correct, you get two points. If you get the question wrong, I will offer the question to your opponent for one point. So you could, maybe, could be 15 points up for grabs, but I hope you get some. You both get some questions right and some points on the board. There is a, a sort of wild card to this round. At any stage, you can ask for an away question, and the away question will be on Scottish football rather than just Partick Thistle, which all the questions, um, apart from the away questions, will be on Partick Thistle. So you can ask for one away question, which will be worth five points for a correct answer. So you don't have to do that, but if you're maybe struggling or you're feeling confident, you can ask for one away question at any point in this round in place of your normal Partick Thistle question. And that will be on Scottish football. You might find it easy, you might find it hard. You might want to take that risk. So we will get round one underway. And Vinny, I will start with you. Question one. Stuart Bannigan played for which other Scottish club during a loan spell in the 2010-11 season? Air United. Correct. You're off to a good start. Two points on the board. Reese, this is your question one. From which club did Partick Thistle sign Darren Brownlee? Queen of the South. That's correct. So we're both off the board. I think it gets a little bit harder from here, but confident start from both players. Vinny, you're number two. Who currently wears the number 31 shirt for Thistle? David Mitchell. Correct. Another two points for you. Reese, which ex-Jag recently announced his retirement after spells at Carlisle and Dundee? Chris Elliott. That's correct. Another two points. Vinny, back to you. The last time Thistle reached Hamden was the 2002 Scottish Cup semi-final. Who did they defeat in the quarter-final to get there? Uh, Inverness, Caledonian, Thistle. Correct. Two points. This is a very impressive start. Rhys, on last season's record-breaking eight-game run of consecutive clean sheets, how many goals did we score in those eight games? <laughs> oh, you're killing me here. <laughs> See, could I go for a away question already? Is that allowed or is that next round? Uh, you, you should. Uh, I should have said that the away question should be declared before you asked the question. I'll give you. I'll give you twenty seconds to have a think yeah. about this one. I can't even remember the games. Uh, 
I'm just going to go 11 goals. It was only seven goals. We averaged less than a goal a game during that run. I think we had four or five nil-nil draws. Vinny, back to you. Who was in goals for Morton the day Chris Doolan scored the ghost goal? Oh, that's good. Uh, I've got a gut feeling. I'm sure he was there. Was it Derek Gaston? That's incorrect. Reese, do you want to steal it for a point? Was it... Um... Is it Danny Rogers? No, it was Ryan Scully. Oh, no way. Jeez. <laughs> Reese, who, at, at time of recording, so I should say we are recording this the day before Falkirk away in the Challenge Cup and we have just played Cove. So at time of recording, who was the last ex-Jag to score against Thistle competitively? Um... Off the top of my head, I can't hang it any of this season so far. Adam, your head. Benny, for a point. I'm, I'm, I'm struggling with this as well. The, the, the only one that I can think of in the most recent past was Chris Dolan for Air United. I'm hanging Adam, your head the last two last season, but it can't be right if I've been passed on. Tommy Robson scored for Queen's Park this ah. season. Oh, of course he did. <laughs> How could I forget that stalwart? So, Vinny, question five for you. Ian McCall ended his playing career at which club? Oh, no, I, I know he only played like a handful of games for us, but... I, oh, I'm going to say it was... I'm going to say... Did he have a spell with Queen of the South at the end? Went back home, played with Queen of the South. I believe he did have a spell at Queen of the South, but that is not where he finished his playing career. Reese for a point. Is it Clay Bank? That is the correct answer. So you steal a little point there, Reese. That could be important. Oh, at the end of course of the, it was. Then at he the became the manager. Oh. Reese, I already know you're not going to like this question. This is your question five. Um, the option of an away question is there, but this is. This is your question five. If you want we'll, we'll go away question. You go away for the big five. So um, if you get this right, you will get five points, but Vinny will have the chance to steal for three. Right. So your away question. So this is a, a Scottish football question. And again, at time of recording, which is 22nd of September, who are currently bottom of League Two? Albion Rovers. That is correct. So... A, a crucial five points for Reese there, and we end round one with Reese on ten points and Vinny on six. Oh man, that saved me there. Well, <laughs> well done, Reese. Good effort there. That was a good. That was a good week there. So round two, I'm going to give you criteria, all Thistle-related criteria, with a, a certain amount of answers, and I'm going to ask each of you to declare how many answers you think you could name. Um, if the other player wishes to up that bid, they can. If the other player wishes for their opponent to, to go ahead and declare the number of answers that they declared, they will get five points. So, for example, if if I ask Reese how many people are on this call and Reese says three and Vinny wants Vinny, if Vinny wants Reese to declare three people and Reese can do that, Reese will get five points. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, go for it. So, Vinny... This is your one to start with. There are 15 of these 20th century 
Partick Thistle managers. I should state, if anyone has had multiple spells, I've only included them once. Uh, so 20th century Partick Thistle managers, 15. How many do you think you can go for? I'm, I'm counting on my fingers. <laughs> um, I'll go for, I'll, I'll be quite conservative and I'll go for 20th century. Um, I'll go for seven. 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 Reese. <laughs> I'm going to name them. I can do more than that. So Vinny, seven is the seven is the target. So when you're ready. Okay, Sandy Clark, Martin yes. McLeod. Yes. John Lambie. Yes. Um. Oh, this is just on the cusp. I'm going to say Tommy Bryce. Yes. John McVeigh. Yes. Um. Oh man. Uh. Right, okay, obviously David McParland. Yes. Oh, I'm better old. There you go. There's your seven. So five points for Vinny, and he he takes a one point lead with one That's question. That's amazing to how go. your mind goes totally blank there when <laughs> you don't put on the spot. <laughs> so our next our next topic, which Reese, I'll, I'll come to you for a, for a bit here. Uh, Vinny is currently leading by a point, so it's basically all on this. Whoever uh, gets this. Uh, correct, or whoever can do the naming will will be the victor. And the the criteria is the 2013 Ramsden Cup final team. So there are 11 starters, obviously, and three substitutes. I'm looking for the 11 starters. If you get a starter wrong and they didn't appear off the bench, that's you out. If you get a starter wrong but they appeared off the bench, you can have one life, and that'll be your one life if it's a sub that come on. But I'm looking for any of the starting 11 from the Ramson Cup final for Thistle in 2013. Reese, how many do you think you can name? I'll say nine. Nine. Vinny, do you want to top that or let Reese go ahead? I'm running through it in my head. Oh, right, go for it, Reese. You go for nine. So, <laughs> if, if you get somebody that didn't appear that day, that's it over, and Vinny will win this first match. If you right. name somebody who came off the bench, you could gain of one life, and that'll be your life. So, take it away. You do nine, eh? Yep. Right. Scott Fox? Yes. Stephen O'Donnell? Yes. Baratoni? Yes. Muirhead? Yes. Taylor Sinclair? Yes. Welsh? Yes. Ross Forbes? He came off the bench, so that's so, your one life. So I've only got one life, eh? Yep. You have named six, so you need three more. Three more? Yeah. Uh, Wallace? Yes. Erskine? Yes. Stephen Craig? That is correct. So, Reese, you are the, the winner of our first matchup there by 15 points to 11. It was a, a very high-quality game. Um, congratulations. Very well done, Reese. Very well done. Congratulations. No, I know that as well because I remember Dylan's goal and he was wearing number 14. <laughs> but yeah. That is good squad number knowledge. <laughs> so, next up, and ha- they have been listening, Jamie McDonald to play Mark Wallace. Were, were you both impressed by the standard in, in game one there? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. 
very good start. Right, Jamie, you know you know the you know the setup here. You're going to get five questions. If at any point you want an away question, shout out before your your question. And if you get it wrong, Mark can jump in. So, question one for you, Jamie. Who is the only other team that Tunji Akinola has made a senior league appearance for? Leighton Orient. That's correct. Two points. Mark, who is older, Neil Scally or Alan Archibald? Neil Scally. That's incorrect. I'm not going to offer that up to Jamie just due to the nature of the question, but Alan Archibald is actually nine months older than Neil Scally. Interesting. Jamie, question two for you. Since the introduction of the League Cup group stage in 2016, what team have we drawn the most often at that stage? Stenhousemuir. That is correct. That is good knowledge. We've played Stenhousemuir on four occasions. We've played St Mirren, Queen's Park and Airdrie three times. Yeah, but I shouldn't have considered between them and Airdrie. Yeah, four times for Stenhousemuir. So another two for you, Jamie. Mark? Who was the last player, again at time of recording, to score a free kick for Thistle? Kevin Holt. That's a good answer, correct. Against Montrose in the League Cup. You're, you're on the board, Mark. Question three for you, Jamie. Which ex-Jag has won five caps for Guinea? Matthias Bogba. A very good answer. I wonder what he's up to now. Question three for you, Mark. Against which other championship club are Thistle currently on their longest winless streak against? Which current championship club? Yep. Cove. That is a really good answer. It's it's only a four-game streak, but it is the longest, and it's also the longest in terms of time as well. November 2012, the last time we beat Cove. So a good answer for you, Mark. Jamie, you're 6-4 up. Here is your question four. Again, time of recording. Who was the last Thistle player to be sent off in a league match? In a league game? Yep. Um, got a time limit on this. I don't want to hold you too long. Uh, you have ten more seconds. Okay. Um, I don't think that's the sort of... Is that run? An, is that run? Oh, it's a good answer. It's a good answer. I don't think that's an, an easily Googleable one, so we'll give you oh, some I time. For that one. One. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was Zach Rudden away at Falkirk in 2020. Mark, your question four. Against who did Cammy Smith score his only league goal against to date for Thistle? Air United. Correct. Two points for you. That's another high quality match. Jamie, your question five. In the summer of 2022, just gone there, Abdul Osman left which club after their liquidation? Um, the liquidation? Uh, he was you know, playing down south somewhere. Uh, I, I'm not sure, to be honest. I know he's playing down south somewhere. I'm just going to say breaking last team. I can remember him playing for him. That's not right, because I'm not liquidated. So I don't know. Mark, this this is surely an open goal for somebody of your of your calibre. Walton Casuals. He's got it for a point. It's a great answer. 
from Wallace, Walton Casuals to make it 8-7. So, Mark, you could take a lead into round two if you get this question correct. How many points did Thistle finish in front of Morton in the 2012-13 season? Nine. Jamie? Ten. The correct answer is 11. So we finish our first round on Jamie with eight points and Mark on seven points. Another close run thing. So again, you have both uh, listened to Vinny and Reese uh, battle it out earlier in our round two. So Jamie, I'll start with you. There are 14 of these. So I'm looking for you to, to name as many as you can. Signings in the summer transfer window of 2018. So that was, we'd just been relegated. Alan Archibald was still in charge and we recruited 14 players to try and get us back into the top flight. How many of those 14 do you think you can name? I'm going to say 12. Oof. Mark, do you want to let him do it? Or do you want to, do you want to raise the bid? I'll let him go for the 12. Five points on the line here either way, Jamie. If you, if you can't manage these 12, Mark's going to steal your points. So take it okay. away. Tam O'Ware. Yes. Craig Slater. Yes. Jai Kutongo. Yes. Sean McGinty. Yes. Tam Scobie. Yes. Uh, Andrea Mbayamatombo. Yes. Kula Bali. Yes. Rest in peace. Bryson Tamway. Yes. Um, Dan Jeffries. Yes. Cammy Bell. Yes. Aaron Lennox. Yes. One more. Um, I've got one more left. Yep, you're on 11. Um, 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 I'll give you 10 more seconds. Okay, okay. What a good answer. What a good performance there, Jamie. The two you were missing, Jack Storer, I don't know how you forgot him, yeah, and, and Max Melbourne. Oh, yeah, so I, is... I was like thinking of defenders. <laughs> I was like, I swear there's someone else. But yeah, Max Melbourne, completely forgot about him. So that's five points for Jamie. Mark, I'm afraid Jamie can't be caught, but there could be. this could be an important round for you if, if this group is as tight as it It looks like it could be with, with point difference um, up for grabs. So you have... 31 possible answers here, right? And I'm going to explain the criteria. It's the Partick Thistle Hall of Fame. Mm -hmm. I have not included the the entries of the 1921 Scottish Cup team or the 1971 League Cup winning team. Mm -hmm. Um, Some of those players do have their individual entries, not all of them, but I have not included them. So how many of the 31 members of the Partick Thistle Hall of Fame listed on the website, do you think you can name? 20. Jamie? I'll let him go for it. <laughs> right, hit us up, Mark. <clears throat> Jackie Husband. Yes, you're going to have to bear with me because I don't think these are in any order, but yes. Uh, Dylan. Yes. Erskine. Yes. Lambie. Yes. Um, Peter McKinnon. Yes. 
Uh, Molly Stalin. Yes. Um. Oh fuck. Uh, Alex Ray. <laughs> yeah, well recovered. That wasn't a confident. Oh fuck. <laughs> um. Dennis McQuaid. Yes. Stuart Bannigan. He is not currently listed, but I will let you keep going. Um, George Easton? No. Not I there, I'm afraid, Mark. I would have thought that being the manager, you'd have went in individually as well. So that's going to be five points for Jamie. I will read out the remain, remaining members. You've got Andy Anderson, Alan Archibald, Kenny Arthur, Bertie Old, Jerry Britton, Chick Charnley, Jimmy Davidson, Neil Duffy, Tommy Ewing, Mary Hawksworth, Bobby Houston, Bobby Law, Danny Lennon, Johnny McKenzie, Ian McDonald, uh, John Harvey, Den- Davy McParland, Alex O'Hara, Robert Reed, Alan Robertson, Willie Shark, Dougie Somner and Kenny Watson. So that was... 18-7, that finished to Jamie. Closer than the scoreline suggested, but I think, Mark, you tried to bite off slightly more than you could chew with with round two there. To be fair, it was a very tough question. It was a very tough question. Even I've got my limit, like... We'll move on then. We've been promising a, a conspiracies episode for, for months, if not years now. And going out of the Challenge Cup in underwhelming circumstances feels like the perfect week to, to do it. So we're going to talk, uh, we're, each of us is going to give one footballing conspiracy that we maybe believe, and then one general conspiracy. And uh, you've, we'll, we'll have a few minutes each to convince the others that it's, that it's real and it's not just, just mental. So David, I will start with you. A football conspiracy, please. I want to talk about things that are buried under Fur Hill because I find this to be the most fascinating thing. Um, there is a whole wealth of weird things buried underneath Fur Hill, according to various legends, mainly the elephant. There is apparently an elephant buried underneath Fur Hill um, uh, in the sort of late 1800s before we um, moved in to Farhill. It used to be commonplace for some reason for elephants to be paraded through Glasgow as a sort of zoo exhibit circus thing or whatever. And elephants at the time, you know, in this would not be treated in the best way and would die um, like in the middle of the street. Um, and because it was not the 1800s, uh, no, there was no way of moving them. So they um, are like lifting them up with a crane or anything like that. So they'd have to sort of try and position them into like nearby sort of plots of land and bury them underneath like dirt and stuff like that. And apparently, oh, th- this is like a, f- a common thing with houses in Glasgow where 
um, builders will be doing work and then they'll find like they'll unearth elephants underneath and stuff like that. They're they're all over apparently. Uh, the West Ends is one in Great Western Road and stuff like that. But apparently there's one buried underneath for how along with horses because Fernhill used to be a quarry and horses died and they just buried them as well. Um, I think it's. I mean, people have many people have called Fernhill an elephant's graveyard over the over the years. They don't know the half of it. There's there's a whole variety of weird things underneath there. Also, um, apparently a man has his glass eye buried in the penalty spot. Uh, so that he could see Fissel score from, uh, from penalties uh, after he died. But, I mean, we don't ever score from penalties. And I believe I it's in the John Lambie end. I think his real eye. I mean, that, that's, just, that's just gruesome. The glass eyes. He said, are, are you going to take the, the real eye? I and put can't it in there? see the glass eye. I, you know, you're <laughs> going to pick up his eye and... Uh, oh, come on. You need, you need to have a bit of suspension yeah, of disbelief like in this one. Getting in and taking his glass eye either, to be honest. Maybe he's bequeathed it, you know, like he's given it to them on his deathbed or something. He's just clanked it out and given it to them. Yeah, yeah. But apparently his glass eye is in the penalty spot at the John Lambie end where we famously don't score and on the penalty spot where we don't score penalties either. Um, So he made a cracking choice there. But um, yeah, there's a whole heap of shit um, buried under Farhill um, and I love it. Jamie, are you having that? And... (laughs) Once you've responded to David's theory, uh, can we have yours, please? Where David heard all this information, I do not know. Uh, I think you have you mentioned that elephant one before. I think that rings a bell. It, it was on. It, it's like an old we are thistle thread. Um, someone for some reason posted it, and he went off in a various uh, directions. J- Jamie is right. There was like a lack of sources um, cited in that there, David. I know we are Fessel. I don't know if I believe some random we are Fessel user that there's an elephant <laughs> buried under for hill. I'm 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 just putting it out there for people. It's up to them to make their own decisions and think critically about the, the sources that have been given to them. But you you didn't cite anything. You just said according to some people. This. Oh, that this is a common thing, like well, like old, old building developments where they would find elephants. This is like there's elephants everywhere in Glasgow. You could just say that about anything, though. You could say there's like anything is buried under anywhere. What? So, so like, so do you think is there an elephant buried under your house, Matt? I don't live in Glasgow. But, I know, but it might be. You said that anything could be buried under anything. <laughs> Right, Jamie, what's yours? <laughs> uh, I'm going to say that Thistle are part of some sort of dodgy money laundering ring, and that is why we're always signing players who never play a game, and then they leave mysteriously, and no one knows who they were. So, but it's like the old Baromarata thing. If you've ever seen that on Twitter, someone said that he's just a money laundering scheme, and he just moves around clubs constantly just to shift money about. And I'm saying that's what Thistle are doing over the years with all these players, like. Jason Banson, Mitch Austin, Antonio German, Adam Devine, Declan Glass. A lot of these players have never ended up making an appearance. So, there, there you go. Reese. I so mine's is sort of along the same lines as Jamie, but a wee bit of substance to it. Um, 
and I genuinely believe this is, is true. Um, it's no Fissel related at all, unfortunately, but um, it's it's my, my English club, my United, right? So I'll tell you a wee story. I don't know if any of you remember the the winger Bebe that they used to have. They signed, yeah, yeah. right? I don't know if you know this story, but Bebe had been living in a care home and he'd just recently played the Homeless World Cup and Bebe's only competitive football had been a single season in 2009-2010, a single season in the Portuguese third division, and he signed for uh, Vitoria Guimarães that summer on a free transfer in the summer of 2010, and then just uh, a month later, after six pre-season friendlies, he joined Man United for 7.2 million. So basically, what's happened with this? Um, it's, it's famous as being uh, Sir Alex Ferguson's only signing at Man United that he'd never watched. He'd never seen Bebe, but he just followed the recommendation of Carlos uh, Queros, um, who was Ferguson's former assistant, um, who was then the coach of Portugal's national team. What basically had happened is they both have the same agent, uh, Jorge Mendes, and Bebe had moved to Mendes's agency company just two days before this deal went through. Um, and of the £7.2 million that United paid, Bebe's agent Mendes got £3 million. So you're probably just thinking that's an incredible bit of work for the agent to get a, a client for the third division in Portugal, get him a move, and then two months later, get him a move to Man United again for 7.2 million. Um, but this is where a conspiracy comes in. Uh, Bebe was actually signed as a favour to the Portugal manager at the time, Carlos Queiroz. So Queiroz, as I said, has previously been the assistant to Alex Ferguson between 2002 and 2008. And during the 2010 World Cup, my United winger, Nani, got sent home for the World Cup with a mysterious shoulder injury. Right, so you're never just going to go back to club training. You're never going to leave a World Cup with a shoulder injury, are you? So this is what happened. So basically, the rumour lies, um, he got sent back home hours before he was scheduled to have a drugs test, um, which had been leaked to Keros. And the, uh, the rumour goes that he'd taken that Nani had taken performance-enhancing drugs and they did not yet cleanse from his system. So Keros sent him home to avoid a minimum 12-month competitive football ban for Man United. So then, mere months later, United signed unheard of Portuguese player who, for all intents and purposes, hadn't kicked a ball um, for the wildly inflated price of £7.2 million. Um, and the deal was brokered, uh, none other, by Jorge Mendes, who was both the agent of Carlos Keros, who recommended Bebe. And then this transfer was investigated by the anti-corruption police in Portugal two years later, but no light was ever shed on that case. Um, and you won't be surprised to hear that Bebe made a grand total of two Premier League appearances during his four years stint at Old Trafford. Now, you're not telling me that that is no dodgy. I like that a lot. Uh, that's the most convincing one. Uh, I, I'm in on that one. Bebe, I think, I think he plays for Matt Rayo Vallecano in Spain. I really like Rayo Vallecano, and apparently he's like amazing for them as well. Like he's he's really really good. Uh, if Nanny is listening, I'd just like to say allegedly took performance enhancing drugs just in case he's listening. Um, my my one is that Stephen Gerrard missed that penalty against Blackburn to get Roy Hodgson sacked, and I know that's like a really boring one, but it's like literally the most obvious thing I've ever seen. Gerard throughout his career was like a pretty decent penalty taker and he always just side-footed them right into the bottom corner and he'd go either side. I don't think he did anything else. Sometimes the goalie would save it, but he'd always just side-foot it either side. Liverpool are 3-1 down at Blackburn on the bottom half of the Premier League and he just sort of nonchalantly steps up and chips it over the bar as if he's like 
playing crossbar challenge to a goal that's on top of the goal. And when he misses, there's, there's absolutely no reaction. Hodgson is obviously uh, sacked like two or three days later and Kenny Douglas is brought in. Similarly, um, Stuart Bannigan getting sent off against Ayr uh, when we were uh, already down to 10 men in Gary Caldwell's last game. I'm saying nothing else apart from that, but, but same vibes. Have we ever discussed the Gary Caldwell saved for Hill conspiracy theory? <laughs> <laughs> I can't remember I ever talked about it. Um, Gary Caldwell, upstanding sitting. No, I can't even see that with a straight face. Um, now, is your thing about getting rid of Chen Lee or whatever? Yeah, apparently Gary yeah, Caldwell yeah, was the mole that leaked stuff about Chen Lee wanting to come in and sell for how and move us to Scotsdon. And he, um, there's a, a James Kearney's mentioned it before that he he knows somebody in, in the press who swears by it. And, and it's branded Gary Caldwell the, a hero at Farhill for saving the ground and all that. It's mad stuff, but it, yeah. Uh, but, but I've heard multiple people tell me this, um, all from the same source. But um, yeah, it's... <laughs> what, <laughs> what, what a weird theory. I mean, I swear there was like a rumour every year that either we were moving to Scotland or that Glasgow Warriors were coming back to ground. I swear that always got kicked up. David, do you want to kick us off with our, our general conspiracy theories? Yeah, I've got uh, high hopes from you for this one. I, I don't know if I have. It's, it's, a, it's a pretty basic one, but um, Walkers and Pepsi are made by the, are owned by the same company in the UK. So it's the same licensor that, that does both of them. And they have specifically developed them so that Walkers and Pepsi taste good together. But if you eat Walkers of Coca-Cola, there's a specific ingredients, I can't remember the names of them, in Walkers that are that react with the flavours of Coca-Cola to make it worse. So that you go, oh, that's shot and then get Pepsi instead. And similarly, um, Pepsi with Golden Wonder is the exact same thing, where if you, ha- if you cross-brand them, um, they taste terrible. Whereas if you do Walkers and Pepsi, it's meant to it's meant to be this subliminal psychological psychological thing to make you buy the two of them together. Um, but they they've done this for years. Who, who are they? What are they gaining from that? So people who buy Walkers buy Pepsi, and people who buy Pepsi buy Walkers because they like they like people who like Pepsi won't try go wonder because they won't like it as much. I'm like oh no, and then they'll get Walkers and they'll enjoy them better. That's the general idea behind it. Are you not aware of this? I've never, no, I've never heard of that. Do you not know this? No. All right, I, it's, it's been, it's been a, 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 a like thing for. I mean, like, but uh, Pepsi um, has been run as Britvic in the UK for about thirty odd years, and Walkers it was around about the same time. But it's only in like, the last 15, 20 years that they've really started doing it. But yeah, there's an ingredient in Walkers to make it taste worse of Coca Cola than Pepsi, and there's ingredients in Pepsi to make it. Taste worse of Golden Wonder and Walkers. Fair enough. I've, I've got one for Christmas as well. If I can. Right, right, while we're on it, go for it, Jimmy. Right, um, this is going to backfire if you all answer the correct thing, but what flavour do you think is the. Wait, sour cream and what, Pringles? Sour cream and what? Onion. Chive, that's it. Chive? Yeah, thank you. Thank you, right? Sour cream and chive, that's what everyone thinks it is, but apparently that flavour has never existed. 
you look it up, Pringles say it was never a thing and it's always been sour cream and onion and you can't find any images online of sour cream and chai. No, I'm calling this as out as well. It's, sour, it's always been sour cream and onion. <laughs> no, That's no, nonsense. Was, no, no, no. I swear <laughs> there's a flavour called sour cream and chai. I'm so convinced by it. Every, like, we're having this, someone at work brought this up and um, when they said it, I was like, well, what do you mean that is a flavour? I'm like, no, it's not, but everyone thinks it is. And then he looked up and he apparently was right. But I swear there was a flavour called sour cream and chive. And I'm glad that that didn't backfire. Aye, cause he, like, I think it's just another crisp. Like another brand has like a sour cream and chive. It must be. Yeah, it's got to be. But for some reason, everyone thinks it's everyone thinks it's uh, Pringles. But then some people accuse Pringles of like removing it and covering it up. That's like the Mandela effect, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. People also say as well that Walkers, apparently the cheese and onion and what you call it, saw and vinegar used to be the colours the other way around. Yeah, that that was the case. That's like Golden Wonder used to do it, and then Walkers came in. That's right, and then the nineties. So that's like they came in the nineties. That what was the case? They changed it, and now everyone thinks the salt and vinegar is green, but it definitely what it used to be. Yeah, but Walkers say, it didn't, Walkers say it didn't happen. It's just a general misconception. But and then some people say there was an advert in Scotland of a Celtic fan accidentally going into a Rangers shop and a Rangers fan going into a Celtic shop because of the colours got switched to like advertise the crisp change or something like that. But then Walker said that's not true either. I mean, as we know from my theory, um, Walkers have lots of shady stuff going on behind the scenes. They are they are pulling the puppet strings here, so I'm willing to believe it. Rhys, do you have a non-crisp, non-football related theory? Sadly, I don't actually have a theory today. I wrote in the chat, I've just been busy all day and I couldn't think of any, and I was trying my best, I was looking for them. But I'm a conspiracy theory, conspiracy theory, conspiracy, I can't even speak now. I'm a conspiracy theory enjoyer. Like, I love listening to them, like, anything about them, I sure enjoy them. But I actually, I'm not a flyer for me, so I don't really have any that I believe, to be honest. But I've, got, I've got another one if you want. Yeah, well, heads up, Jamie. I got told this one, this is nothing to do with Chris, so don't worry. I, this one, I don't believe it, but it was amusing anyway. Do you remember when, well, obviously, when Will Smith smacked Chris Rock at the Oscars? Yeah. So some people said that, uh, well, I got told this conspiracy that Pfizer paid them to do that because Pfizer were releasing a alopecia vaccine, or not vaccine, or some sort of treatment for it. And because of the whole slap thing, it raised awareness of alopecia on the news, and that's why they did it. Who's got alopecia? Is it not Will Smith's uh, wife or something? And that's what Chris yeah. ah, right, okay. laughing about or something. Why did, they, why did they slap him? Because <laughs> he, said he called her G.I. Jane or something like that. Ah, oh, right, okay. Uh, oh, of course, of course. I see, of course. Clearly that, that Pfizer money was well uh, was well worth it, seeing as Matt didn't have a fucking clue about the whole thing. Uh, of course. Like, I, I, I did read about it at the time. In my head now, he just went up to him. I, I mind it now. I mind it now. <laughs> Can I give another crisp conspiracy theory? Just right. because while we're on it. This is the last it. one. Um, when I was a kid, does anyone, you're all a bit younger than me, does anyone remember the Big Breakfast? With Chris Evans? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So they used to have a thing called Britain's Biggest Crisp, where mm-hmm. the people would uh, send in pictures of crisps. They got the like, big ones to see who could have the biggest one. And Brannigan's uh, of ham and mustard fame cottoned on to this and started making bigger and bigger crisps until like they would put out packets that were like three crisps but they were like the size of the packet so that they would get on big breakfast eh, britain's biggest crisp because it got to a point where like every week people were sending in 
lots of huge Brannigan's crisps because they started manipulating it and just putting in lots of huge crisps to make to get lots of free advertising on the big breakfast. Um, is this a place for for me to go into 9/11, pal? I'm in a safe space. Absolutely. Right. So when I like, I found my old laptop about a month ago, and I found an essay I wrote for Higher English, which I got an A in, uh, and submitted off to the SQA, and it was like a 9/11 conspiracy essay. And reading it, I was like heavily cringing. And it's one of these things like the older I've got, like the more you just sort of accept the account. But like when you've got a few pints in you, and somebody like would mention it, you're like, aye, that that was a, a fix up. So David. You were the only one in this call, I believe, who was of like an age to understand what was going on at 9-11. So can I ask you, what happened to Building 7? Building 7? Uh, yeah. which, which building is this? This is the second tower? No, no. This is a tower that was part of the World Trade Center complex. Uh, but it's not like adjoining to any of the towers, but it did collapse on September the 11th. Is this something where like debris hit it or something like that and it no. fell? I think they just claimed it was like hot. <laughs> what? But, like there was, but it wasn't like the closest building. There were other buildings that were closer, and this one just like collapsed. Right. Okay. I. I mean, I'm not gonna lie, Matt. I am locked in for this. This is uh, speaking as someone who once also done an essay about international terrorism in primary school. I am well. I'm well in for this. Uh, are you watching Lumen Tower at the moment on Prime, David? I am not, no. Oh, it's very good. So what's the guy? Who's the other guy in uh, Dumb and Dumber? Not Jim Carrey, the other one. Uh, Jeff Daniels. Jeff Daniels. Uh, so it's basically like 90% gritty CIA, FBI in the late 90s trying to find Bin Laden. And then like 10% Jeff Daniels just shagging. <laughs> that, that's that. <laughs> I would strongly recommend <laughs> So, so what's your theory behind this tower that just collapsed because it was warm? Well, uh, look, it's it's not my place to say, right? The official 9-11 report just said some debris hit it and it was warm. So like, who, who am I to question that? But a um, bit weird. Uh, also, I'm pretty sure that a new lease was taken out on the World Trade Centers like six weeks before, which involved like completely new building insurance documents getting written up. So again, that very suspicious, worth like hundreds of millions to allegedly the Silverstein. He's mentioning corporation names now. We're we proper getting in it. He's throwing uh, accusations it's, about it. It's very much gone down the still game route where you're just saying, are you just saying big words? Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but what did walkers have to do with this? That's what I want uh, to know. I know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, is this how the podcast ends? Where we just get tarnished as like huge 9-11 conspiracy theorists? I used to know someone whose pal was convinced 9-11 was a hologram for, like, years he was convinced of this. And he just go, no, it wasn't. Like, it, it clearly wasn't. Um, he's a bit, bit think about it. And it, it's just, it's no use. Absolutely no use. He was convinced that 9-11 was a hologram, despite the fact on September the 10th, there was two giant skyscrapers. And then on September the 12th, there was not two giant skyscrapers. And he's convinced the whole thing was a was a hologram. It's very weird. Right, so here here you go, David. My, my Silverstein uh, one. So this man took out a 99-year lease on the World Trade Center complex in June 2001. 
uh, and then he took out terrorism insurance just after that. And in a court case, he won four and a half billion pounds. Did he then invest it in a training centre and cut and tell by any chance? <laughs> so I, I, I'm. It's one of those like I'm. I'm not like a a purely like, or oh, Bush did 9/11. I'm not like that. But there's there's definitely some some weird stuff. I'd say more interesting than weird. I'm more interested in it than. You're gonna have to cut a lot of this, I think. Oh no, absolutely not. But <laughs> I, I, I know, I know what you mean. Like, it, it's one of those things where, like, American and UK foreign policy, my entire lifetime has generally been wrong in a lot of things. Yeah. So I'm, I'm not, I'm not taking the full story from George Bush and Tony Blair. Um. So I, I get where you're coming from, Jamie and Reese. I'm stunned that you've not left this call. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> I was just last. I was just listening, and I was sent. See what I sent into the chat there. Now, a new conspiracy, Brian Graham is living a double life as an Italian police officer. I've just seen this thing on Twitter. I saw it earlier, <laughs> and then I actually... Right. Yeah, I had to, to go and ask the door, and I came back, and you were talking about taking out releases on 9-11, Twin Towers. <laughs> 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 going well. Mate, but, what uh, could you uh, have me just sent it to the chat? I know I'm going like full Facebook mode here with, oh, look, this person looks like a... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I didn't, I didn't see the one I mentioned last time. It wasn't a pod, uh, a conspiracy pod, but the one about uh, Paul McCartney, and like apparently he died, and like he's the only one of the version in the photos. And if you play a part of this song backwards, I think it's like Strawberry Fields or something. I don't know. I'm not a Beatles fan, but apparently it says Paul is dead and stuff like that. I think those ones are so cool. And like Eminem died, and like Avril Lavigne died, and they're replaced by stunt doubles. I love, that. I love that kind of shit. I'm so in on the Avril Lavigne one. I'm so in on the Avril Lavigne <laughs> one. Mate, is anyone seeing this, Brian Graham? Aye, oh, Jamie, you're right. That could be why he was missing on, on yeah. Friday. He was completing <laughs> his training. He, he was in Vicenza. Um. <laughs> An Italian police officer for some reason. I just saw this earlier on Twitter. I just saw like some post about it, and I was like, that fully does just look like Brian Graham and an Italian police officer with like shades on to hide his identity. David, there's lots of this that's not making the edit while we finish. But crucially, no, David, the nine, all the 9-11 chat will go in. Unedited, David. Uncut. <laughs> anyway, right, we'll leave it there before uh, none of us come back for next week's episode. Anyway, we will be back next week to look back on hopefully a return to, to winning ways in the league against Morton. In the meantime, stay safe and buy a season ticket or buy tickets for away games. Or Turn up to matches. Turn up to matches. Look into the question. Never fits. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Nothing as it seems. Bye.